0: Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantine of com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Welcome back to episode 435 of The Whole View. It is going to shock you. Hold on to your britches, Sit down, hold your breath. We're going to be talking about vegetables today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um, vegetables in the, and, and we're going to be talking about animal protein too. We're going to kind of be talking about the, we're going to actually be like, like vegetable protein versus animal protein. Let's get ready to rumble. That I didn't say the voice. I almost said the voice as I thought that was the next sentence that was going to come out of my mouth. And then I like completely chickened out of doing the voice.
0: Well, for, for the majority of our listeners, that would be described as discussing vegetables. Just, just so we're yeah, on the same page there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I am super excited about this listener question and this question though, because I also submitted a question that I know we're going to try to tackle a bit, which is, This idea of um, the anti-nutrient value of vegetables being less digestible and therefore protein being better in some eyes. And in the eyes of, for example, vegans and vegetarians, protein being not necessary, you can get it all from plant matter. And it's like this perpetual tug of war, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's just look at the science, and I know that that is what you're going to bring today.
1: <laughs> As opposed to every other day. All right, let's get into the question um, because I think there's um, a ton of science to get into. I've been listening to you two ladies since way back when you first started in 2012. Jeez, I was 15, but I feel very lucky to have such <laughs> wonderful role models. I
0: know. Okay, wait a minute. So first of all, I'm sorry. Like, and you know that that's not an easy thing for me to say with my genuine apologies w- that we were your influences <laughs> back in then. No, I mean, how incredible that we get to be part of someone's life like that. Like, I always think yeah. of our listeners as being who they are today with us and, and people our age. But I love that we we experienced adolescence with someone and we're potentially influential in how they're choosing to live their life as an adult. Like that's that's pretty spectacular. I just want to like point point that out as being like, what? And also we've been doing this a really long time. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's that was my 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 first takeaway was like, wait, wow, this is the complete grown up adult who has been listening since she was an adolescent. Uh whoa. Okay. Uh let me continue. Um, I feel very lucky to have such wonderful role models as I grew up in a not, not so healthy food and body image wise environment, and I'm thankful that I could count on you two to encourage a healthier perspective both inside and out. I was wondering if you could discuss the myth of protein combining. I feel like maybe the reason people new to the whole lifestyle, new word for paleo a la podcast name change, become meatheads is because of this myth that if we don't eat meat, we will not get all the amino acids we need. However, as a biochemist and researcher, I have done the math using USDA nutritional guidelines. 2,000 calories at 10 to 15% protein is only 50 to 75 grams of protein with varying requirements for each individual amino acid and their food database, and found that as long as one eats enough protein period, it is literally impossible to not meet individual amino acid requirements, even consuming no meat, fish, or eggs, as vegetables also have a significant protein to calorie ratio. I understand that the digestibility of plant proteins is much lower than that of animal, but I thought you ladies would love another excuse to tout the benefits of increasing veggie intake. Plus, it makes anti-inflammatory diets look more affordable when one understands that we don't have to hulk out on proteins. Love you too, and hope you are safe and well in the epic times of COVID we are experiencing.
0: I cannot love this question enough. Um, I know you have a lot to dive into, so I'm going to hand it over, but um, I I just want to also ask this listener to follow up with us and at least let us know like were you influenced to be a biochemist because you were listening to Sarah when you were young or did you find Sarah and enjoy her because you were drawn to being a biochemist already like this is my brain is exploding a little bit and I'm just I'm I'm loving all of it it's just me I'm doing this thing with my hand where I'm like pointing to the whole question and being like I love all of this.
1: Yeah, I think this is also a really timely topic because we're sort of in that time of year where uh, people are looking to New Year's resolutions and trying to decide, you know, what they're going to do. And of course, it's so common to adopt some kind of diet, and the diets that are popular right now, uh, in part because we've for so long defined diets based on like what's the thing you don't eat, right? Like think way back in the seventies, like low fat diets. And then in the nineties, low carb diets and vegan diets, right? They're all, they're all defined by this thing you don't eat. And part of the the problem with that is a, what you don't eat isn't what makes a diet healthy or not healthy. Um, but also when you go to like level up your diet, Uh, If you've had success on a diet that was defined by a list of foods you don't eat, it's sort of a very natural next step to like, oh, I'll just cut out more things. And so the diets that are gaining popularity right now are very extreme diets in terms of eliminations. And so we might have listeners who are themselves or their family members or their friends considering going – Vegan or fruitarian uh, for the New Year's, or they might be looking at keto or carnivore or a meat-heavy implementation of paleo. And so, this is kind of like our like let's let's talk about um, animal protein versus uh, vegetable protein, pros and cons, um, what how much of what we actually need, um, so that we can inform these decisions as people are looking to New Year's. I want to start with some of the science that our listener actually summarized and kind of expand on that to to lay the groundwork for our listeners. So let's talk about protein requirements first, um, because that's one of the things that our listener talked about was sort of like USDA guidelines, amino acids, all those things. So the Recommended daily allowance for protein is 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight um, or 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight if you live in a country that uses the metric system. So that's about 56 grams for a 150-pound person, which is not a ton of protein. Um, It's really important to recognize that the science that goes into establishing recommended daily allowances is looking at symptoms of deficiency. So it is um, for all of, you know, uh, RDA is for vitamins, for minerals. It's the cusp at which 97.5% of the population does not show symptoms of insufficiency or deficiency. So we really need to be thinking of RDAs as the bare minimum and recognize that the RDA is still not enough for 2.5% of the population by definition. Um, So so that's sort of like one piece of information. Um, There's a whole pile of other studies that have looked at uh, protein intake and other metrics of health. And of course, you know, we on the show like to uh, look at a very comprehensive picture of like, how do we even define health? Um, and so the um, when you kind of take this more holistic picture, what you see is that our protein requirements for optimal health is actually a little bit more than that. And there is a really wonderful article um, done by examine.com that we will link to in the show notes. It is the exact, the reason why I've never written this article for my website is because they've done such a fantastic job summarizing the science on protein intake and all of the different um, considerations that goes into that. Um, And so what they have basically shown is that Something like three to four times that minimum is where you get the best benefits to uh, hormone regulation, to cardiovascular health, and to body composition, which are really, really important. So uh, examine.com's analysis on protein intake um, basically shows a higher range of protein being optimal, Um, something like double to quadruple um, the amount that is considered the RDA. Um, and it's variable depending on your current weight, uh, your level of physical activity and your goals. So it sort of ranges from 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram. If you're sedentary, sort of all the way up to 3.3 grams per kilogram. If you're trying to minimize fat gain during a bulk and you're like a you know, weightlifter, right? Um, so on average, most of us we're probably gonna fall in that like 1.5-ish grams per kilogram. That's like we're we're now in the range of like half a gram to a gram per pound body weight. So considering that same 150 gram person, um now we're in like the 75 to 150 grams um, of total protein in the day. And one of the things that examine.com has on their site is a protein intake calculator where you can sort of input how active you are, what your primary health goals are um, and your weight. And it will give you a target amount of protein to consume per day. And it's just based on these calculations. You could also just take these numbers and plug them into a calculator. So I don't want to, to go into all of the science behind those recommendations because examine.com has laid it out so well, other than to say, we've got a lot of other stuff to cover. Um, there's a, a really great article that's going to be linked in the show notes if anybody's really interested in digging into that. Um, as our listener also pointed out, there are um, RDAs, or sort of daily values, for the essential amino acids. So there's 20 amino acids that are the building blocks for all of the proteins in our bodies, nine of which are considered to be essential, and that's because our bodies can't make them. Uh, there's another five or six that are conditionally... Uh, essential, which means that in times of illness or stress, we can't make enough to meet our needs um, and we need to get it from diet. And then there's the rest of the 20 are non-essential, meaning um, even if we don't get any from our diet, our bodies can make it. That being said, kind of like all of these like base building block nutrients, it is always preferable to be providing it to our bodies from the food we're eating so our bodies just have all the materials that it needs to to do all of the things that it does rather than force the body to first make its materials and then do the things, right? It's always, we're always going to be supporting biological systems better by consuming all of the nutrients that we need, essential and non-essential, right? A non-essential nutrient doesn't mean um, that we don't like, we're not. We don't like. It's irrelevant. Uh, non-essential means we can make it ourselves, and we don't have a a disease of deficiency identified. It's kind of a different way. It, uh, it's a different thing than to say how healthy you can be with or without it. So non-essential nutrients are still critical for health, even if you're not going to die without them. If that makes any sense. So with the amino acids, um, the uh, amount sort of ranges from like um, tryptophan and cysteine are the ones we need the least amount of. We only need about four milligrams of those amino acids per kilogram of body weight. And it kind of goes all the way up to something like leucine, where we need almost 40 milligrams per kilogram body weight. So that's sort of the, the range of um, how much of the essential amino acids we need. So the next question is, can we get All 20 amino acids from plant proteins? Um, And can we get all nine of these essential amino acids from plant proteins? And the answer is yes. I mean, there there are sources of all of these amino acids represented in plant foods. Um, But plants tend not to contain all of these amino acids, right? So um, that's where plant combining plant proteins has sort of traditionally been recommended for vegetarian and vegan diets. So animal sources of protein, say chicken, fish, beef, they generally contain a good amount of all 20 amino acids. Um, Plant proteins tend to maybe contain good amounts of 12 or 13 of the 20 amino acids, and they are almost always deficient in at least one of the essential amino acids. So, um, you know, the only plant protein that is sort of uh, typically touted as being a complete protein—complete means all nine essential amino acids, not all twenty. We don't have a word for that. Just all nine essential amino acids. Soy is is typically uh, whole soy, like tofu, um, is typically touted as being a complete protein, um, but it actually a couple of the essential amino acids has such small amounts, um, it's, it's really not, um, it's, it's not comparable to animal protein anyways. So, um, the classic combinations to make sure that you're getting all nine, uh, essential amino acids from your plant protein, if you were following a vegetarian or vegan diet, uh, would be either like legumes and a grain or legumes and a nut, right? So that's like the classic combination, beans and rice, lentils and almonds, um but really we don't need necessarily to be combining all of those in a meal um it's it's more about combining them all in in the whole day because the body can store a certain amount of amino acids in order to like when it's needed so um so the idea of like always making sure that you have right beans and rice in a particular meal is not going to meet the essential amino acid requirement. Now, as I mentioned, essential amino acids are awesome. We definitely need them from food, but we still actually really need the other 11 amino acids. Like, Even though our bodies can make them, it's not necessarily efficient. We're not necessarily making them um, as quickly as we need them. It is definitely better to just have all of the building materials ready to go from the food. And when you start to look at it that way, you can really see very, very clearly that um, any plant protein is not as high quality as any animal protein. So um, uh, I pulled some examples and pulled the amino acid breakdown of like lentils, which is about about 25% of the calories in lentils comes from protein. Tofu, which about thirty percent of the calories comes from protein, and chicken breast, which about eighty percent of the calories comes from protein, um, and we can we can put these in into the show notes as well. But the the summary is right: lentils is really only high in twelve amino acids. Um, tofu is really only high in thirteen, and chicken same. I mean, you can look at any animal food: fish, beef, pork. They're they're not deficient in any essential amino acid. Um, And in fact, the amino acid, um, uh, like the relative quantities of amino acids matches how we need them, like how much we need. So for example, you'll find a little bit less of that tryptophan and cysteine where we only need four milligrams per kilogram body weight, and then you'll find higher amounts um, of the other amino acids that we need in higher amounts. So it's not a surprise that the proteins in animal foods are supplying amino acids in very similar ratios to the proteins that our bodies need to make because we're an animal.
0: So one of the things that I'm a little bit, I don't want to say curious about but I just basically want to, I want you to validate what I'm thinking about all of this. And I just also want to kind of reiterate to our listeners is, i we're specifically talking about amino acids um and mm-hmm. proteins, so this does not negate the show that we did, for example, when my son was trying to go vegan, and we talked about nutrients that are needed and so um when I think about and I know we're gonna kind of you know get into this a little bit when i when I think about um why I am eating. Protein, because I was a vegetarian for seven years. Um, it is not just because um, it's easier on my body and digestibility and that sort of thing, but it's also because there are other nutrients beyond protein that one must get from animals as well. So, I I love that we're kind of breaking down what that percentage was in the calculator and and all that sort of thing. And yes, we can get these from plant protein. I would challenge most vegetarians to pull this up and do the math and see that they're getting it in in enough quantities across the spectrum. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's just difficult to sell balance. I think it's, you know, for me, I'm like, you know, we've talked about, lentils and nuts being great things on the show before like that doesn't it's not in a vacuum of only if you're a vegetarian or a vegan do those things right you know are are they helpful for you um like I said I I didn't really have a question so much as I just felt like I needed to say something
1: (laughs) um no and I think you brought up two excellent points which is the digestibility of plant protein versus animal protein, as well as the other nutrients that we can find in these foods. So um, let's let's dig into that. So um, it is absolutely 100% true that animal protein is more easily digested by our bodies than plant proteins. Um, So our uh, regular listeners sort of recognize a lot of this language from our uh, epic collagen show where we talked about digestibility. Um, so we're talking again about the true digestibility. So not a um, score that is corrected for the presence of essential amino acids, but rather how compatible is that protein with our digestive processes. So we only have certain ways that we can break apart proteins, and there are protein structures that are more resilient to degradation through our stomach acid and our protein digesting enzymes. And so when we look at like we measure this by basically looking at like how how much uh protein is still left after it's gone through the small intestine um and that's called a digestible indispensable amino acid score um and that hasn't actually been calculated for all that many different kinds of foods um but it has been calculated for a lot of foods and um and it's it's quite eye-opening when you just sort of see this list of foods. And in general, animal foods are at the top <laughs> and uh, plant foods are at the bottom. So just to pull out a few, um, egg, uh, again, our our listeners to The Collagen Show will recognize that egg is often sort of defined as perfect digestion because it is so easily digested by our bodies. Uh, the DIAAS score for a whole egg is 1.13, so one is sort of considered perfect in here. Um, but uh, but egg is actually so digestible it gets a score above one. Beef 1.1, uh, a whey protein isolate 1.09, chicken breast 1.08, fish 1 to 1.06, uh, soy protein isolate highly, you know, like refined protein enzymatically pre-digested. Still only 0.9. And then we go all the way down. The next high, the highest of the foods that have a -A DIAAS score, plant foods, is chickpeas at 0.66. Lentils, 0.54. Tofu, 0.52. Kidney beans, 0.51. Black beans, 0.49. Peanuts, 0.43. Almonds, 0.4. Rice protein concentrate. 0.37. 0.37. So um, this really, I mean, it it's basically showing us that plant proteins were sort of at best actually properly digesting and absorbing maybe half of that protein. And that is something that's really important to keep in mind. Now, the protein that doesn't get digested in our small intestine goes into the large intestine and can feed our gut bacteria. And so it's really, it's it's important to understand that our gut bacteria also have a a need for protein. They need protein for, for growth and survival. They have essential amino acids as well. They're a little bit different than our essential amino acids. The two most important amino acids for our gut bacteria are glutamine and arginine. And we actually know that glutamine deficiency or arginine deficiency can uh, trigger gut dysbiosis. And we know from studies that, um, certain types of protein support a healthy and diverse gut microbiome and certain types of protein skew the microbiome to an inflammatory microbiome. And this actually tracks pretty closely to the DIAAS, which is really interesting. So fish protein is by far and away the best protein source for our gut bacteria. It supports the highest diversity, the highest levels of Probiotic bacteria like lactobacillus. Chicken protein is sort of close behind it. Beef and pork protein are sort of intermediate effects. Um, in the, the context of a high-fat diet, they're, they're not awesome. In the context of an overall healthy diet, they're pretty neutral effect. Casein, milk protein, and soy are... Pretty detrimental for the gut microbiome, so they reduce levels of probiotic bacteria and increase levels of opportunistic bacteria. And then pea protein, which is the only sort of uh, legume protein that has been studied in this sort of way, um, actually is really beneficial. So it's interesting because, in general, you know, we have this data showing the animal protein, especially fish and chicken is very beneficial for the gut microbiome. Um, soy protein is really not, but pea protein is. Um, and so it's, it's hard to sort of differentiate. It's hard from that to draw a like broad is plant protein beneficial or not for the gut microbiome. It's potential that just like there's better animal proteins and less good animal proteins, right? So like, Caseins an animal protein. It's not good for the gut microbiome. Uh, it could be very much the same with plant proteins. And it's important to understand that just like in animal foods, right? fats are really important determinants of gut microbiome composition as well. Um, so healthy fats like omega-3 fatty acids and monounsaturated fats like an olive oil are really good for the gut microbiome saturated fat and omega-6s are not. So just like animal foods are complex and have more than one compound that is impacting gut microbiome composition, plant foods are as well. And in general, legumes and nuts and seeds show benefit to the gut microbiome. And that's more closely attributable to their fiber and phytonutrient content rather than their protein content per se. I
0: love that. And I, you know, what's interesting to me is it is also very individual. Um, you know, I want to point out that while you're giving all of these numbers and percentages and all of that kind of stuff, I know for me personally, my body does not process whole milk, for example. So I'm sure I'm not properly digesting and using that protein. Um, I also don't do well with chickpeas, sadly. I would love to be able to enjoy hummus, but it's just not a possibility for me. So, um... I just also kind of want to like remind people that while you're giving this information, it doesn't change all the things that we've shared about listening to your body and the things that work for you and all of that kind of stuff. Because of course, if you're not properly digesting something, you're not properly absorbing the nutrients of it.
1: For sure. Um, And I think, you know, talking about nutrients is also really important because there's other, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the show um, approximately a billion times is that there are nutrients specific to plant foods that are really, really important for our health, including fiber and phytonutrients that we cannot get from animal foods. There are also nutrients specific to animal foods that we cannot get from plant foods, which is why we recommend consuming both. So there are nutrients in animal protein sources that we can't get from plant protein sources that are extremely beneficial. So for example, hydroxyproline is a metabolite of the amino acid proline, and it is one of the main building blocks in collagen. Um, It is extremely hard to find in plant foods. There's, you know, like alfalfa sprouts has some, um, but it's one that's generally abundantly found in animal foods, um, especially animal foods that contain connective tissue. So hydroxyproline is an amino acid metabolite that's a nutrient that we're getting from animal food sources. Um, Peptides like creatine and taurine and carnosine are all really beneficial. Creatine is really important for cellular energy. Um, It's been shown to improve muscle strength and muscle sort of functional performance, as well as potentially reduce DNA mutation. That's only found in animal foods. Taurine is important for neurological development. It's a major component of our bile. um, And it also plays a role with both water and mineral regulation in the blood. Um, So it's really important for cardiovascular function. um, And it's also through mineral regulation, also really important for skeletal muscle health, also only found in animal foods. Uh, Carnosine actually has been shown to slow cellular aging. Uh, it protects against oxidative damage to DNA um, and slows the rate of advanced glycation end product formation, which is a you know, it's the uh, delicious stuff that is made when you barbecue. Um, that is potentially linked to uh, oxidative dan- damage in our cells. We actually make a lot when we of in, within our cells. Barbecue is not the only place to get it. We actually make it in response to metabolizing sugar. Um, and carnosine has been shown to help protect, um, to improve cardiovascular health. Again, you're only getting that from animal foods, um, B12, right. That's one that our, our listeners will know very well. Uh, we're again, um, there's very, very few plant sources. So you'll get some from, uh, potentially something like nutritional yeast and you'll get some from fermented soy products, um, like tempeh or natto. But generally, people who don't avoid animal foods are deficient in B12, and B12 is really important, uh, you know, like all B vitamins, right? It plays a role in cellular metabolism. Um, B12 is also important for DNA production. Um, It's really important for cardiovascular, brain, nervous system health. Like, it's, it's, it's it's a really important vitamin. Animal foods are our best source or only source of preformed vitamin A. So we get... Vitamin A precursors from plant foods, so like carrots and sweet potatoes, have carotenoids. At best, the conversion from carotenoids into the active forms of vitamin A that our bodies need, retinols and retinals, is about 3%. So we really need to be getting that preformed vitamin A from foods, and we're really only getting that from animal foods. Um, Vitamin A is essential for bones and skin and vision and immune function and uh, barrier tissues. Vitamin D, I mean, yes, we're making some from the sun, but the, um, the only plant foods that contain vitamin D are mushrooms in, in any no, sort of notable quantity. Um, the other foods that contain vitamin D are uh, seafood and um, like eggs and um, grass-fed or pasture-raised meat. Um, There's a couple fatty acids that we're only getting um, in any sort of notable quantities from animal foods. So DHA, one of the long chain omega-3 fatty acids, our best sources are seafood. Uh, Conjugated linoleic acid, um, we're only getting from ruminant animals, um, either their meat or dairy. So think think any animal that chews their cud. So beef, lamb, goat, Uh, Animal foods contain heme iron, which is uh, much more highly absorbed um, and easier for bodies to use than the iron that we're getting from plant foods. So we tend to absorb iron from red meats way better than from dark green leafy vegetables or legumes. And uh, zinc is predominantly found in animal foods as well, right? So uh, not just oysters, the, the magical zinc wonder food, but also you know, beef, pork, lamb, other sort, other kinds of seafood. Um, and zinc is, uh, phenomenally important, right? Immune function, um, but also like barrier function. It's important for maintenance of all sensory organs. It's important for skin health, right? So zinc's phenomenally important. So there's also, right. There's, there's, uh, nutrients that we're getting packaged with animal foods that are, also super beneficial. And actually studies show that there are benefits to eating animal protein. Um, and especially the, the the studies are especially strong when it comes to fish and chicken. So right, people who eat fish, and this is looking at, you know, fish as a, as a whole, it's got lots going on for it. You know, it's got lots of good stuff in it, right? The best protein for the gut microbiome, one of the most easily digestible. Proteins also has great fats and a super great source of vitamins and minerals. Um, but eating higher amounts is fish has been cardiovascular disease, right, heart disease, strokes. Um, and um, and that's, that's including right fish protein. There's been studies showing that eating eggs can improve cholesterol levels. I know that poor eggs were told for so long were a bad source of cholesterol Um, but they've been shown to actually help, you know, when people are eating eggs for breakfast, they're eating typically a higher protein breakfast than alternatives. And there's been studies that have shown that like postmenopausal women who had eggs for breakfast instead of a bagel, uh, ate less later in the day because their hunger was better regulated and it helped with weight loss. Um, and there's been plenty of studies showing that all animal protein is linked to improved um, maintenance and retention of muscle mass with age. Um, so we also talked in our collagen show about sarcopenia, which is the, uh, loss of lean muscle mass to a like problematic level that occurs with age and eating animal protein in general helps reduce that. So we've got, we've got studies showing that, um, animal protein is superior to plant protein, right? It supplies all 20 amino acids. It's more easily digestible. It's generally pretty great for the gut microbiome. It's packaged with other really important nutrients. Um, and we've got sort of these sort of broad population studies showing reduction in at least certain chronic illnesses. But Stacey, you're going to be shocked when I say this. We don't need to eat all the meat.
0: I just fell out of my chair. I'm shocked. <laughs>
1: um you know this this is the thing is plant protein can absolutely count towards total protein. Um, and uh, and we can be, you know, looking at that protein quantity. I, I don't think soy is a great food. um but other plant proteins, legume proteins, right? we we have a people who have read my um, gut health guidebook will know that. Most legumes, um, soy accepted, have pretty great studies showing benefit to the gut microbiome. Um, and so we can look at those. We can look at uh, the protein in nuts and seeds. Um, we can be counting that protein towards our total protein, but it shouldn't be our only protein. Um, so uh, looking at a sort of a the Nutrivor idea, right? It's very plant forward, which is a a new word to me rather than plant based um, and sort of differentiating those two terms. Plant forward embraces more animal foods, but it still endorses plant foods as being the bulk of the diet. So if you were getting 50% of your calories from animal foods and 50% from plant foods, Typically, because plant foods are less calorically dense, you're you're about three quarters of your of the bulk of your diet is plant foods—vegetables, fruits, mushrooms, modest consumption of nuts and seeds, and traditionally paired legumes. Potentially, some select grains. Our, uh, our corn podcast. Um, the protein in those foods can count, um, but we actually can benefit greatly from the consumption of animal foods, especially seafood. Like the the data on seafood is definitely the most compelling but like three to four ounces of, uh, um, animal protein per meal is actually enough from a nutrient standpoint. And we can round out the rest of our protein needs from plant sources. Um, um, and there's really no, there's no detriment to getting all of our, um, protein from plant sources. It's still not as much meat as, um, a lot of the fad diets sort of endorse. So to get that 150 grams say of, which is a good amount for most people of protein from animal sources. It's still a six, seven, maybe eight ounce serving of animal foods per meal, um, depending on how dense of a protein it is. Right. So like something like chicken is a way denser protein than something like eggs. Um, and even like a, a leaner seafood is going to be more densely protein than a fattier seafood. Um, but even that, right? Even going up to an eight-ounce serving per meal, which is probably more protein than most people need, um, that is still, I think, much lower than what is sort of happening in these very sort of meat-heavy diets with the demonization of every plant food, right? Like fruit is like a fructose bomb. Meanwhile, there's so many studies showing that fruit is beneficial to health, um, or low carb or keto or carnivore, all these different shades of, um, of this sort of diet that, that avoids vegetables and fruits. And I I think to the detriment of the, the person following those diets, because that then misses out on fiber, vitamins, minerals, and all the phytonutrients that are the specific nutrients that we're getting from plant foods that we're not getting in sufficient quantities from animal foods.
0: I think it's uh, not at all shocking to me. And you know, if I, if I were to break it down the way that I literally just talked about this with my kids last night at dinner, um, just bear with me as I go off on a tangent here. We were talking about what humans would taste like, and I know that sounds terrible, but we were talking about what animals were most similar to and like, you know, whatever. And Wesley determined that we would taste like pig because we're omnivores and we eat everything. And some pigs taste different because you could get your heritage pig who only eats acorns versus, you know, whatever. And so all of that is to just say, like we're omnivores, like we're animals are omnivores, we eat meat and plants. And I think um, depending on your genetics and your gut microbiome and all that kind of stuff. It's really dependent on how much and your activity level, right? All of that kind of stuff, how much um, to play around with to see how you feel great. And I know, Sarah, you've kind of come to a conclusion on what you feel great on, you know, we have the hashtag three quarters veggies for filling up your plate that way. But I know that I also, because I have been through it, don't feel great without any protein at all. And oftentimes that really catches up to people. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I know we've talked about it before, but I, I want to remind people, like, if you're going to try to eat more vegetables and maybe have meatless Mondays or different kinds of things like that. I think there's a lot of opportunity for that in a balanced, wholesome, um, nutrient-dense-focused dietary approach. Um, But if you don't have protein from an animal source for a long time, that nutrient deficiency can really catch up with you. And you can talk to most I mean you could just google it. There's a ton of um influencer type vegan and vegetarians who've come out as saying I now eat meat because after years of doing this, I had health problems and nutrient deficiencies and my energy was low and blah blah blah. And that's I think that's kind of what I look at and I see and that might be because they weren't getting this broad broad range of amino acids if you're not focused on Fulfilling those requirements with really planning your meals out and having diversity, biodiversity as well as like food diversity, and then also um, taking proper supplements for the nutrients that you would be deficient in. Blah blah blah. It it's it, it's not like you can just eat the plants that you feel like you like and everything will be great. <laughs> I don't I don't know how yeah. else to put it. You know. Yeah,
1: and I think you know, again, this is, as you said at the top of the show, um, moderation and balance is a hard sell. Um, and I think, you know, to bring it back to this idea of, um, you know, fad diets being defined by the list of things you don't eat, um, and how problematic that is from a, uh, mindset perspective, right. Um, how that sets us up, to get ourselves into like, dig the hole deeper when it gets into troubleshooting. Um, right. So like if vegan didn't work, then we'll go raw vegan, raw vegan didn't work. Then we'll go fruitarian, right? Like we, we tend to, or paleo didn't work. We'll go keto. If keto didn't work, we'll go carnivore, right? We, we tend to have these, these, um, chains where we go, okay, we cut a bunch of stuff out. I achieved, you know, this part of my goals in order to get more, obviously the next thing to do is cut more things out. And that's actually probably the complete wrong thing to do because, you know, there's been a bunch of different analyses of um, all of these different diets. And without that sort of NutriVore nutrient density approach and without the like real like implementation with balance and moderation, it's really easy to be deficient in important nutrients that are it's that deficiency that is actually the cause behind um, whatever, you know, not reaching that health goal that you're experiencing. And so the the solution is to identify the nutrients that are missing and find the food sources of those nutrients, not cut up more things and therefore make that deficiency worse or I think that, you know, even though balance is a really hard sell, this is, you know, to me, this is basically another way to look at the different complementary roles that plant foods and animal foods are playing in our diet, why we really need both, but also why, what a balanced diet looks like is a lot of different plant foods beside a modest portion of animal foods. So It's very easy, I think, in, um, in a lot of these sort of dietary templates, uh, I've got permission to eat bacon and T-bone. That's all I want to eat. Or I've got permission to eat, you know, something else that, that is a healthy food in moderation. That's all I'm going to eat. And I think it's, it's, you know, seeking out, as you said, Stacey, food diversity is so important and there really is a role for um animal foods and plant foods on our plate approximately equal f- from a calorie perspective, which generally means about three quarters of our plates are plant foods and about a quarter is animal foods.
0: And with that I literally heard a mic drop. So <laughs> um I will say, you know, it, it does fluctuate for me. I find myself um certain times of the year probably with how much vitamin D I'm getting or how much, um, activity I'm doing or different kinds of things, how much my body, um, will tell me it wants more vegetable things. And, um, sometimes I just am ravenous and want like, you know, just three chicken thighs and nothing else. But then other times I think more often, um, sometimes I'll do like lunches that don't really have, a meat or they'll be very vegetable rich with like tuna which i think is my body's uh when i crave uh, tuna or seafood like that usually it's because it wants a lighter load on digestion just my own kind mm-hmm. of personal take on that so i think it's it's just so important to get to a point where you are nutrient sufficient or you're focused on nutrient density so that you can be more attuned to what your body might be telling you at certain times of the year, because I think we can tell you this is what the science says, but we also know that it's very individual as to what will work for you. And so, um, you know, if you're filling your protein with glasses of whole milk and you're lactose intolerant, like that's probably not working for you. Uh, Um, Chances are. Yeah. I'm thinking. So um, just an example, right? Like, corn does not work for me. Most legumes do not work for me, all that kind of stuff. So um, not that I don't know that they could be good for my microbiome, but it's because I'm listening and learning. And that's just all we're asking you as listeners to do. And we hope that um, this has been helpful from a scientific perspective so that if you're talking to someone or maybe you are considering doing one of these things for New Year's, for example. Or, you know, someone you know is talking about um, they want to do carnivore because the anti-nutrients in vegetables prevent anything from being digested anyway. So they're just going to nope. do whatever. Nope. It's not the case. Can I, can I just
1: say? Can I just say? <laughs> no. That's not. No, it's not. It's not it. Can I just? It's not it. Uh anti-nutrients are not stopping you from digesting uh, all of the nutrients from that food. It's not like if you eat spinach with a meal, you're not going to absorb any of the iron in that meal. It doesn't work that way. It's not leaching nutrients from your body. Um, There's this whole idea that like there's anti-nutrients in all vegetables, like zucchini has anti-nutrients. It's not, it's not a thing. Um, Most of the right phytates, oxalates, those types of yes, they're bound with minerals and it stops your body from absorbing it but it turns out that our gut bacteria liberate those minerals for us and those foods are really good for those bacteria that help us digest those foods so um we're we're not we're not throwing all plant foods under the anti-nutrient bus that's not a thing it's the science doesn't support that it is not that's not it
0: not only does the science not support it but we've also discussed in the show how carcinogenic meat can be without the offset of the antioxidants that come from vegetables. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason that our bodies operate in this harmony and we recognize that, you know, we don't have like um, a magic pill or a specific diet with a bunch of dogma that we're selling to you here and that that makes it less popular. Um, But I think that's what we were really proud to stand for and we want you to share with the people in your life and be inspired by, which is it's it's less easy to, to have to learn all of this and not have a set of rules, but it can be from a, you know, coming from someone with a long history of disordered eating, it can be so freeing to just tell yourself that you're focused on health and focused on nutrient density and that you know that you need both and to just go with that flow. So I'm hopeful that that is a place we can we can go together. And we will um, talk more about this in the next uh, two episodes. So just as kind of a heads up, if you've made it to the end of the podcast here, um, Sarah and I are going to be taking the holidays off. We're practicing what we preach a little bit. Um, I'm super excited that we are doing this for ourselves and our teams. And we have two awesome shows coming up for you and I can tell you that because we've already recorded them <laughs> Um and we're going to be focused on that um both of those concepts of nutrient density but also really focusing on health as um, a metric and um you know that continuing conversation of ways that you can love yourself that aren't about how you look and so I'm excited to share that with you over the next couple of weeks, and then technically we'll officially be back, drumroll, next year. So um, I don't know about you, Sarah, but as much as I, I don't want listeners to think that we don't enjoy recording this podcast and engaging with them, we absolutely do. But we have shown up every single week on this podcast, weekly, for as long and a as, half years for as long as our listener was a teenager. <laughs> right? Yeah, as long as their question, the person who asked the question, um, anonymously or we would reference their name, but um, a really long time. And it's it's nice to build in a little bit of a holiday break for ourselves. And I'm hoping that um, we will come renewed back in 2021, um, just like the rest of the world is hoping to be renewed in (laughs) 2021. So um, I know you've got two more weeks to listen to us, but I can assure you that those are um, some of our best and favorite topics coming up for you. And then we will be back. And of course, oh, duh. I also want to mention we are recording our fun, um, Bonus audio, yes. What are we calling these? Yes, for our we Patreon call it bonus fans. audio, <laughs> <laughs> which um, isn't really like work because that's just Sarah and I just hopping on and chit chatting for about fifteen minutes. And so we will have updates for you how life is going during the holidays and that kind of stuff over for our Patreon fam, um, even though we won't be. Live here for the next two weeks. So if you're wondering and you're and you don't want to miss us and all that kind of stuff, definitely hop over to Patreon and you can listen to those episodes as they roll out over the rest of 2020. I know I'm sure I'm gonna have lots to share because we get two foster siblings on Sunday this week. So um, that I'm sure we'll have <laughs> lots to share about how that's going for us.
1: Uh, we are tackling a giant decluttering project over the break. So I'm assuming that will lend itself well to uh, stories to share with our Patreon fam as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you listeners for sticking it in. We hope that um, this has been a useful tool for education, not just for yourself, but to share with those people in your life who might uh, be leaning a little too much in one direction and you want to remind them that balance is a good thing. And The show will be back again next week.
1: Thanks for listening. Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family.
0: And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode.
1: But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. I'm trying uh, not to blame everything on it being 2020, right? And not to be like, good riddance 2020, This year doesn't count. 2021 is going to be like, I don't want to like put pressure on 2021 to be good. Do you know what I mean? Like, like just because you have one kid who got into trouble, you don't like tell the other kid that like they have to be super perfect.
0: I hear you. But also if someone tells you that a movie is going to be so good and you go in and you have this expectation and then it's not, then it feels a whole lot worse than if someone tells you. Listen, Waterworld was voted like worst movie ever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you watch Waterworld that. and you're like it wasn't that bad. Oh, it know? was pretty bad. Okay. It's pretty
1: bad. So was the date that I was on seeing that. <laughs> what was his name? Oh my god, what was his name? He was, he was Butterfly World guy.
0: God, what was his name? I don't know. Is this the Patreon file? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Upside oh Down
0: World, we're doing it before the podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't remember his
1: name. Uh, that's okay. Uh, we went on like five or six dates. He's and
0: then... moved on. He's, he has oh, also I, moved on.
1: So this was like a quarter century ago. So yeah, I'm sure he Can has. Can we not refer but... to
0: ourselves in like measurements <laughs> of centuries, please? Oh, wait,
1: wait till I read this week's question just designed to make us feel old.